0: Welcome all to this week's Christian Humanist podcast. This is episode 209, which means hooray, hooray, gang's all here. I'm David Grubbs. I'll be your host this week. I'm an assistant professor of English at Houston Baptist University in Houston, Texas. Uh, I also have a cold, so if over the course of this episode my sound quality deteriorates sharply and I I shift further and further towards the gravelly and the bass, you'll know the reason with me this week is assistant professor of English at crown College in Saint Bonifacius, Minnesota Michael farmer how are you sir
1: I am pretty good David this is one of the many things that are being pushed on me today that's how <laughs> I see this show something you make me do
0: well you're 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 welcome uh, I'm I'm also making Nathan Gilmore associate professor of English at Emmanuel College in Franklin Springs Georgia I'm also making him do this as well how are you Nathan
2: uh, I'm also, uh, a little bit cold ridden, although I've got more of the snots than the coughs. Uh, so listeners, if I, uh, <laughs> become more and more indistinct as we roll along, you'll also know why.
0: Nice. Well, yeah, as you can, uh, as you can hear dear listeners, um, life in various ways, uh, has, uh, snuck up behind us and knocked us over the head. Um, so, you know, it's the it, riddle
2: it, of human existence.
0: It is, it is the riddle of human existence, which is what this episode is about, is riddles. Um, But all that to say, in the event that we say something goofy or whatever, um, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, but we are, you know, playing with a handicap. Anyways, (laughs) riddles. This was a a topic uh, that was pitched us by a listener, and so uh, I I was intrigued by that and decided... um, this would be this would be the week when we do it, but first we need to define our terms. So, Michael, what is a riddle? I mean, is it just another name for a joke, or or what?
1: No, I think it's it's pretty clearly not a joke. Uh, jokes are always supposed to be funny. Um, riddles are only occasionally supposed to be funny. I wouldn't say most of them. Um, have humor as the goal. Jokes build up to a punchline where there's a kind of reversal, generally. Why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? You know, that, that, that answer is not what you would expect the answer to be because it, well, that may not be a good a good, good example because it's actually kind of a meta joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, riddles, riddles build up instead to an answer that the, the audience of the riddle is supposed to guess. You're not supposed to guess the punchline unless you're a real jerk. Um, but you, you are <laughs> supposed to guess the answer to a riddle, which instead of being a reversal is actually uh, something unexpected that is nevertheless perfect. Does that make sense? So it's it's not the opposite of what mm-hmm. you would expect. It's mm-hmm. just you don't know what to expect, then that fills in the gap. Right. So really all they have in common is that uh, – that both have a question, uh, at least with certain sorts of jokes, the sorts of jokes you tell when you're a kid, which is probably the last time I thought seriously about riddles too. So uh, right. I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm going to be super <laughs> helpful in this episode. Uh, just just because this is a uh, this is a this is an early modern art form, if ever there was one,
0: or or ancient even. Am, I, know, I, mean, am I
1: leaving out? Am I leaving out something important in the definition of a riddle, David? They don't have to rhyme, right? Although they often rhyme.
0: No. I um, mean, the important thing is the question that is accompanied by clues that have to be read in a kind of unexpected way in order to get the answer. Right. Mm. Right. Um, so the answer so, is
1: water. Or isn't there an Exeter riddle where the answer is like the binding of a book or something?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, mm. uh, yeah, the Exeter riddles are, are kind of famous for this. We'll, we'll talk some about them. So, why did the chicken cross the road would not be a riddle but what's black and white and red all over would be a riddle.
1: I guess you're right. I guess that well, it depends on what the answer is.
0: Well, even then it's a pun on the word red, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And you know, my daughter is at the age where she has uh, you know, kids joke and riddle books that she's acquired from various used bookstores and I mean, that is the pattern that they all run on. I mean, it is a riddle structure that's solved by a pun. Mm-hmm.
1: Is it worth? I mean, maybe you guys can help me sort this out. I love lateral puzzles. Are are mm-hmm. lateral puzzles essentially riddles? Do you, uh, I, I guess I should explain what a lateral puzzle is? Yeah, please do. Um, the the classic one is there's a there's a guy who lives in a high rise apartment, and every day he gets in and pushes the the button for the fourth floor and then walks up to the tenth floor. Except mm-hmm. when it's raining, he goes straight to the tenth floor. Why is that? Well, the answer. Is that he is a little person and he can't reach the the button for the tenth floor except on days when it's raining and he pushes it with his umbrella. So that's not pithy the way a riddle is pithy, but it has I think a similar setup. Hmm. But would you would you consider lateral puzzles types of riddles?
0: It might be. It, it, it might be. Um, I remember one that I think fits that definition in which. Uh, you push your car up to your friend's hotel, and as soon as you get there, you realize you're bankrupt. Why?
1: Because you're playing Monopoly.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that would be a lateral puzzle that also fits the definition of a riddle.
1: Well, maybe I like mm-hmm. riddles more than I thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I like that, that, that emphasis on lateral thinking. It, it helps to unpack, s- I think, one of the reasons why so many cultures have valued riddles for so long as a as a way of uh, of sh- demonstrating wit and intelligence.
1: I was pushing mm. back against black and white and red all over because I was thinking mostly in terms of written riddles, which mm. it, the only way it would work as a written riddle is is if the answer were a zebra with a sunburn, as, as opposed to a newspaper, because because right. then, then right. you've got a homophone. Homonym? I can't remember which one's which. Homophone.
2: Homophone, homophone. yeah.
0: Homophone. Yeah. yeah.
1: But it, I guess it does work as a spoken... Riddle,
0: right,
2: right, right.
0: I heard it as a penguin with a sunburn, but you know it's the same. Six of one,
2: right? And and both of them rely on the newspaper one to get its anti-joke.
0: Exactly. Punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are those are parasitic.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I guess the zebra with a sunburn doesn't really work because because it's not. There's no twist to it exactly, unless you've, as Nathan says, unless you've already heard the the newspaper
0: yeah it it is it assumes that you've tried to 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 solve the lateral thinking riddle that it's that it pretends to be and then it presents this other goofy premise as its solution right yeah
2: from from the lateral
0: to the literal Mm -hmm.
2: yuck 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 (laughs) yuck
0: also yuck yuck um yeah so, the book of Judges uh, has one of the oldest accounts of riddles that I know of. I, I don't know if it's the oldest riddles. I'm I'm guessing that there's probably some kind of Egyptian riddles carved in a pyramid somewhere, but more than
2: I'm, likely, yeah. I'm not aware of them though.
0: Right. Well, but I do know about the one in the story of Samson. So, mm-hmm. if Nathan, if you could what is this riddle and what is telling this riddle in the context of it? Uh, teach us about riddles in the culture of the ancient Near East as as represented in that book?
2: Certainly. So to set up a little bit of context for this riddle, Samson, of course, emerges onto the scene in the Age of the Judges in a time when the Philistines are sort of the overlords of Canaan. And, you know, it's, it's from the Philistines that we get the name Palestine. So they were around a while, or at least influential for a while. And Samson when he becomes a young man he decides that he wants to take a wife from among the Philistines and his family says all right you know why, why can't you just take a wife from among Israel uh, you know do we have to be humiliated by intermarrying with them as well as being occupied by them but Samson insists and so at the uh, in between here we have this uh, seemingly meaningless incident where uh, Samson encounters a lion and he is so powerful that he rips it apart as one rips apart a young goat. I've never ripped a young goat apart with my bare hands. <laughs> I was going to say,
1: yeah, as one does. An experience we can all relate to. <laughs>
2: um, and so uh, a few days later, he's heading to the wedding proper, and he sees that in the carcass of the lion, a, uh, a bee colony has, has taken nest. Uh, and so therefore, you know, he draws honey out of the carcass of the lion And so when he gets to the festival for the wedding, uh, he goes to the Philistines, or at least it's implied that it's the Philistines, and he says, "Uh, let's make a wager. I'm going to pose you a riddle, and if you solve the riddle, then I will give you uh, a great deal of wealth in, in clothing and robes and so on and so forth. And if you can't solve the riddle, then you have to hand me a great deal of wealth in clothing and robes and so forth, and they agree to it. And the riddle goes a little bit something like this, and I'm reading from the, uh, I believe, the English Standard Version. Yeah, that's the one. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now, because you and I are reading the narrative, and we know that he was passed by a lion carcass with a bee colony in it, we know that that's probably what he's pointing to. But understandably, these Philistine men can't figure out the riddle. So they go to Samson's bride-to-be, And say, make him give us the answer to it. So she weeps for seven days, uh, which makes this very possibly an even more awkward wedding festival than the one at Cana in the New Testament. (laughs) Uh, And finally, after seven days, uh, he tells her the answer to the riddle. She, in turn, tells the Philistines. They collect on their bet. Uh, He basically runs her off. I'm not going to, you know, narrate the whole story. Uh, And so he doesn't end up marrying this Philistine woman. So the place that the riddle plays here is to set up a dynamic. That's going to, of course, end the Samson story, namely that uh, he has powers, uh, not only powers of arm, but also powers of wit that the Philistines, the occupying pagan forces cannot match. Hmm. But because he is, so susceptible to a persistent romantic partner, uh, that's going to be the weakness that the Philistines can exploit every time in order to keep him from actually defeating them. Uh, David, I mean, that's, that's the, uh, probably too long, but yet also too short version of it. What else would you want to emphasize there?
0: The, the posing of the riddle in the party context is really interesting to me because it's, it seems as if he wouldn't have done that out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, a, a, as if when he does it, he's got, he, he has a sense that everyone there understands what kind of, what kind of exchange they're about to, un, um, they're about to make, right. That he's, he, they, they understand the kind of challenge that, it, that this is, um, uh so the the notion of of riddles as as ways of competing through wit through intelligence um it i I don't know it's it seems as if philistines dug this kind of thing and so samson is Mm -hmm. is playing it with them right
1: i know it's supposed to demonstrate he's smarter than them Mm
0: -hmm. but uh
1: he can't be that smart if he's eating honey out of a weak old lion carcass it sounds like a good way to get listeria to me (laughs) (laughs) Uh, can you write me a riddle about catching listeria from a weak old dead lion
0: (laughs) Uh, well it's also a violation of his nazarite vows.
2: oh yeah the whole uh corpse thing i did not i did not think of that
0: yeah Yeah, i didn't either touching a dead body yeah no he, sh- he the, the, this is this is something he ought not to have been doing I mean, it feels like uh, cheating. it feels like cheating to me you yeah
1: because the obvious the answer is supposed to be obvious once you hear it right
0: mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm.
1: like there's a bunch of bee colonies living in dead lions maybe there are i've never lived in the middle east
2: <laughs> and then also i mean when you know they get the answer out of him he goes and murders all 30 of them which I guess in, in some respect, he's supposed to be the liberator who fights the Philistines, but this strikes me as the wrong approach to it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Samson's I, kind of a putz, though. <laughs> in so many ways, yes.
0: Yeah, I bet if you were beating him in, uh, in in chess, he would just flip the board on you and laugh.
1: You think Samson is a <laughs> Wookiee.
0: And then kill you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Samson, definitely. Let the Wookiee win. Uh, uh, is the... Yeah, let, let the Samson win. He's even And also, also just, just in case hit. our
2: listeners are interested in badly pronounced Hebrew, our Hebrew word for riddle here is chidah.
0: Well, there we go. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Um, another ancient riddle that uh, comes down to us not from a biblical source but from classical sources is the riddle of the Sphinx. So, Michael, how does... Oedipus, the great hero Oedipus, overcome the riddling sphinx, only to find that riddles are continuing to shape his life. Dum-dum-dum! Yeah, I mean,
1: you, you have you have summed that up pretty perfectly, as the riddle in the Samson story gives you the shape of the Samson story, in some ways the, the riddle in Oedipus, which actually takes place before the action of Oedipus the king, the, the mm-hmm. Sophocles version mm-hmm. of the play. Um, it, it, so it, it tells us the entire shape of Oedipus' life. The riddle... Well, I, sh- I guess I should give the background first. Uh, the city of Thebes is beset by the Sphinx, who, at that point, is rather than a large uh, building with its nose shot off, is an actual <laughs> an actual horrible creature that that seems to seems to bring a plague on the city. In addition to just being standing at the gates and being terrified, and the Sphinx mm. says, "Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get out of here until somebody can answer." Me this riddle, and and the riddle um, I don't have it in front of me, but it goes something like, "What walks on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and uh, three legs at night?" And nobody can figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Oedipus, the tall dark stranger, breezes into town, hears the riddle, and immediately. Answers it. It's a human being. Uh, you crawl when you're a baby. You walk on two legs when you're an adult, and then you walk with a cane when you're old. So, so four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, three legs at night. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, because the the king of Thebes has has left, uh, Oedipus is made the king of Thebes, presumably because he's so wise or clever or whatever. Only to find out during the action of Oedipus, the thing literally everybody knows about Oedipus, uh, that he he killed that king as he was coming into town. Um, that king was also his father, and so when he was given the king's bride, uh, his, uh, given the king's wife as his bride, he married his mother. And thus his his whole life ends up being this kind of unrevealed truth. And there's all these references in Oedipus the king to... Um, to him wanting to know secrets only to find out that when he gets the answers to those secrets it's too it's too much for him to bear and he, he puts his own eyes out You know, he's, he's eliminating his own ability not just to see but to interact with the world and so he can solve the easy riddles but the riddle of his own existence uh, is beyond him and, and mm. destroys him when, he, when it is finally solved for him I think he, I think he solves it, um, <laughs> but he solves it in the worst possible way after persecuting everybody else.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are riddling formulas in there too. I mean, when he comes to discover uh, his crime or his situation, however you want to narrate that, uh, he he does have moments of horror when he realizes, you know, Joe Costa, my wife, who is also my mother, uh, you know, Antigone, my daughter, and also my sister. You know mm-hmm. these are very riddle-like formulas he uses to describe his now distorted, complicated relationships with these people in his life.
0: Right. Well, and two, you have the figure of Tiresias, right? Um, mm-hmm. Who do you occupies... know
1: who your who your parents are? He asked.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh, he 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 kind of. I don't have the the chapter and verse, but he kind of throws it in Oedipus's teeth. Hey, man, you're good at riddles, right? Riddle mm-hmm. me this: You're sleeping with your mom. You know, I don't think he like, goes.
1: I don't think he goes quite that far. He he does not. Yeah, he, he does not give him the big reveal. The best I can remember.
0: Yeah, well mm-hmm. he he, he gets he gets pretty close. He he says some things that if you read it literally, um, that's that's the truth but if but if you if you if you're expecting it to be figurative um you're going to miss it but but still the, it, it's that um the oracular riddle right the prophet comes and gives you the truth from the god but the truth from the god is concealed in equivocation
1: yeah and and the riddle always wins so I, the thing the thing i didn't mention is that uh, again I, I think everybody probably knows this who's listening Oedipus's parents get a prophecy from the Oracle that says, Your son is going to kill his father and marry his mother, so they have the son done away with. Except mm-hmm. the guy who's supposed to do it can't bring himself to do it. He sends him to another city where news of the Oracle reaches him and he leaves that city in order to avoid doing it and yet he lands in Thebes where he does it after all. Because it's it you know, again, his whole life is this riddle that's Mm -hmm. always pushing toward this horrible answer that he can't foresee, even though he's, he's so clever.
2: Mm -hmm. And really that tradition of the Oracle of Delphi runs very closely alongside the tradition of riddles because some of the most famous oracles are themselves riddles in structure. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the famous, you know, King Croesus prophecy. uh, If you cross the river, you will destroy a great empire. And he takes his army across the river and, you know, Cyrus kicks the crap out of him and then he realizes, oh, it meant my empire. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, uh, when the friend of of Socrates, whose name I never can remember unless I'm looking at the text of apology, uh, comes back with the prophecy, you know, there is no man wiser than Socrates. Uh, What Socrates comes to realize is that, you know, that's because nobody's all that wise.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, he yeah. actually cracks the the Delphic riddle unlike most of these people.
2: Yeah, yeah. Most without of them think they've destroying gotten himself. it.
1: <laughs> most of them think they've gotten it, and then the the riddle kind of undoes them.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yep, and, and you know, there's the... a
1: practical reason the Oracle would speak like this, right? I mean, from our perspective, which is. Uh, it's not really predicting anything and and, (laughs) you know, and, and so the, the riddles, the the predictions can go either way. The, the Oracle is hedging her bets in some ways. It's Mm -hmm. an uncharitable reading, I suppose.
0: (laughs) Well, the way it, the way it functions, if you read it charitably though, is, is it's a way that the, that the system can simultaneously propose fate and prophecy. That the mm. gods that the gods will give you messages about what's coming, but because it's it's in the form of an oracular riddle, nothing that you do is actually going to alter fate. Um, the prophecies aren't actually helpful, right? Because there's so
2: neener neener.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> neener neener. And in fact, all of your <laughs> all of your efforts to avoid the thing you think the oracle designates are in fact bringing about the thing it actually designates. Right. Now, that, of course, that leaves out what what you said, Michael, about you know actual historical oracles hedging their bets. My guess is that's that's actually probable. Have well, I was ever- just thinking
1: about the difference between the way the oracles tend to speak in ancient Greece and the way the prophets tend to speak in the Hebrew Bible. Um, mm-hmm. There is some mm-hmm. of that, like oracular riddle, in mm-hmm. in the Hebrew Bible, but mostly the the uh, Hebrew prophets are pretty straightforward. Whether that's because they are actual prophets of God or because the books were written after the events take place. Uh, you know, that's not really something I'm qualified to say. Or both and. Yeah. Um, but, but the, the tenor of Hebrew prophecy seems different to me than, than the tenor of Greek prophecy.
2: Right, right. And I'm reminded of the, the prophecy in early Isaiah, and I'm sorry, listeners, I don't have the chapter ready to mind. Uh, but when Isaiah says, you know, behold the young woman, by the time she bears child and it knows the difference between good and evil, these Kings who menace you will be Kings no more.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I mean that there's definitely something of the structure of the riddle there, but mm-hmm. it's also a, a fair bit more definite.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean the, the message of Jonah is not a riddle, you know, repent, yeah, <laughs> just, you know, repent, destruction's coming. Right. Uh huh.
2: But And, then, and then,
0: then
1: there are the ones that are, that are kind of riddles in the sense that they're, Prophecies that seem straightforward to us, but that at least from the Christian perspective, they were misinterpreted for five hundred years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 messianic prophecies, like like the or,
2: or meaning was added in the event of Christ. If you're going to read it a bit differently,
1: sure. You're the you're the biblical scholar. I'm just a humble <laughs> Americanist.
0: <laughs> or, or they had a perfectly, or, or or they had an appropriate meaning in the time, but that meaning is is fulfill, full filled full by a later event.
1: So typology itself ends up being a kind of riddle, just mm-hmm. without a riddle structure.
2: Mm-hmm. Or even, I mean, you know, if you think of things, even if you keep things in the eighth century context, you know, something like the. Oh, and I'm going to flip uh, Isaiah's children and Hosea's children here, but Lo-Ami and Lo-Ruhamah, uh, not my people and no mercy. I'm, I'm pretty sure those are Hosea's youngins. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, they are signs of a sort and they are riddles of a sort, but it's not by any means identical with what the Oracle at Delphi is doing.
0: hmm Yeah. They, they they are they don't have the same structure of, of being um, intentionally inexplicable in order to entice people into the trap of fate that they represent.
2: Precisely, precisely.
0: Yeah. Well, are there any riddles in the New Testament, Nathan? I mean, oh goodness. Do parables count or kingdom well, paradoxes? Well, there, there there
2: are a couple points that I want to propose as parallels. And you two can either you know, tell me that they're bad parallels or tell me that I'm ignoring what's more obviously a parallel. Uh, but one of them is the uh, parable of the sower. And I pick it because it's one that Jesus tells to the crowds and then later on the disciples need it explained to them. Uh, mm. And kind of like the riddle of Samson, uh, it has a definite referent, but it's not immediately obvious to those present. So, you know, the, the sower goes out and this is a very bad farmer who throws some of his seed on the road because apparently he doesn't know that the field is over yonder. Uh, (laughs) He throws some of them on the rocks because, you know, he was never told that the field has dirt, not rocks. He throws some among the thorns because, you know, why throw them where the field's been plowed? And then some of them he throws on the good soil, but the stuff he throws on the good soil is such magical seed that it bears, you know, 60-fold and 100-fold and so on and so forth well, the disciples and the crowds have no idea what this is talking about other than this farmer has gone mad. (laughs) Uh, and you know, Jesus explains it later that, you know, this is his, the shape of his mission. He is going to speak to these crowds, even though only a part of the crowds are genuinely going to be disciples. He's not going to be like the rabbis who teaches in secret only to his own inner circle, but he's going to speak it publicly, but you don't have to worry about too many people getting it because they won't. Um, You know, most of them, for various reasons, are not going to bear that seed. So that's something like a riddle. Uh, Another one that I I, I like is uh, in the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, depending on which uh, translation you use. um, You've got these moments where John the Seer is told by a voice uh, to look for certain things. And when he's looking at them, uh, or when he hears about them, they are a certain way... But then when he turns to look at them, it's something else entirely. So the two examples that I always like to point to is one of them, he is told, Behold, the Lion of Judah who comes to conquer the nations. He turns and looks, and what he sees is a lamb slain since the foundation of the world. A little bit later on, he is told uh, all of those who are going to be delivered by the lamb are the 12 tribes of of Israel, and from each of them 12,000, so that there's a very tightly controlled, very limited number, 144,000 people. But then when he turns and looks, what he sees is people from every tribe and every nation more than can be counted by the eye. So in both of those, again, it's not exactly a riddle, but it's certainly something where his notion of what it is to be the representative of God on earth has to take a lateral move when he looks to see what Jesus actually is, the lamb slain since the foundation of the earth. And when he looks to see what the chosen people means, what it means to be the chosen people that is, he has to make that lateral move again and see that in fact it is from every nation, it's from every language, it's from every tribe, and it's more people than you can count. So in both of those cases, I mean, there is something like a riddle going on Although, again, I mean, the intent of the thing isn't necessarily to snare so much as it is to reveal, at least when it's written down. Now, when Jesus, of course, speaks in parables in the Gospel of Mark, he says, I speak in parables, quoting Isaiah, so that they may not hear, so that their ears will be shut up, so on and so forth. So there's something like a riddle going on there, even as, in the written form, it's not for the sake of concealing, but it's for the sake of revealing. I mean, Michael, I... Are there other bits of the New Testament you can think of that are more explicitly riddle-like?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, those are the uh, – I, I wouldn't have even thought of those, um, but I, I, okay. I, you know, it, may, it makes sense to me.
2: All right. You know, another one that um, is kind of a borderline case, although, you know, when, you, when you're trying to find riddles in the New Testament, you kind of have to deal with borderline cases, is uh, in Acts 17 when St. Paul is in Athens – um. he says, you know, okay, what is the God that is unknown, the Theos Agnostos? Well, it is the God that I am going to make known to you. So, I mean, there's a little bit of that structure there too. Um, You know, like I said, I mean, when I was trying to think of, of New Testament riddles, those were kind of the three border cases I could think of. So David, I mean, if, if there is some uh, solution to this riddle of where the riddles are, I'd be glad to hear it. Well, I,
0: I don't. I don't have a solution. I was just curious to see if it, if, it, <laughs> if, if that worked out. Though um, the apocalyptic stuff, um, I think that makes sense. But it, and and it continues to be. Um, uh, I mean, you see it in Dante, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the form that uh, 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 the form of prophecy that you see in Oh Nostradamus does it. You know, the animal imagery and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I. Yeah, well, we'll, Snopes says plausible. (laughs) That's nice. Nice. Well, can we cite other literary riddles um, from our specialty areas or elsewhere? Michael, you got anything to pitch?
1: Uh, I was thinking Jorge Luis Borges is, uh, I think it's the Garden of Forking Paths where there is a kind of meta-riddle. Now, Borges' works are basically riddles in some sense anyway they're at the very least they're paradoxes but this one uh, asked the question what is the one word that a riddle whose solution is chess cannot mention what <laughs> what is the one I don't know that I'm quoting it accurately but let's say you want to okay. write a you want to write a riddle and the solution uh-huh. to the riddle is chess what's the one word that the riddle can't have in it
2: I don't know.
0: Chess, well, chess.
2: Yeah, you can't give away. Oh, is that all it is? I see. I'm, I'm trying to think of some trick answer.
1: <laughs> no, it's actually a very straightforward answer. Um, which seems, I don't know, kind of vaguely emblematic of <laughs> of what Borges does, because he gives you he gives you a riddle that is supposedly mm-hmm. about chess, uh, a riddle that is about a riddle that can't use a word in it that nevertheless uses the word in it twice. Hmm. Right. So mm. it's it's that snake eating its own tail quality you get with, with Borges. <laughs> uh the Harry Potter books also I believe have quite a few riddles. I, I know there's mm-hmm. I know there's one about a spider in um in Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I, I think I think of that very much as being a connection to the sort of um, Anglo
2: Saxon riddles Grubbs is gonna talk about.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. What would you pitch, Nathan?
2: I've got a small handful. Uh, One of them is uh, likewise from, well, I guess Harry Potter, most of them were published in the 21st century, so I'll go 20th century. Um, You know, the uh, Silver Chair, uh, one of the Chronicles of Narnia novels, involves a series of plot events that largely hinge upon uh, sort of riddling commandments of Aslan that the uh, Pevensey children, and I think it's still Pevensey children. It's been a, several years since I've read that to my kids. Um, basically, through a mixture of an inability to see the riddle and also a, an unwillingness to do what they don't understand, end up complicating things over and over and over again. And as they do so, these sort of riddling commandments are teased out. Uh, so that's one that, that comes to mind. Another one is the O. Henry story, The Gift of the Magi. Uh Where you get not necessarily a riddle told, but the plot structure itself is a sort of riddle you know uh each of the two spouses in the story, and I'm going to try to do this without spoiling it, which is very difficult um <laughs> tries to acquire a gift that because of the events of the story, the other spouse will not need, but they don't need it because they were trying to uh, to to acquire another kind of gift, mm. so I might have just spoiled it in the most bland way possible, so I apologize if anyone hasn't read that but <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, I guess if my worst crime when I reach the pearly gates is I spoiled no Henry story, I'm doing all right. Um, The third one that I would point to uh, is the Shakespeare tragedy Macbeth. Mm, Uh, Here we get that, you know, strong oracular uh, structure with the weird sisters. uh, And they tell him things like uh, no man born of woman can defeat you. You'll only be defeated when uh, Burnham Wood comes to Dunsinane, so on and so forth. So these things, you know, Macbeth, you know, probably along with, you know, several people who are reading it or seeing it for the first time, uh, he receives these as prophecies of his own invincibility. But as the plot unfolds in the last act, and again, I'll try not to spoil this, although, frankly, it's a 400-year-old play – if if you if you haven't read it, that's your fault. Uh, you know, through various plot events, uh, those things prove not to be tokens of impossibility, but because of some lateral plotting, if you will, they mm-hmm. actually come to pass in the course of the play. So, uh, you know, David, I mean, the things that we've kind of been pointing to certainly take their roots from that Oedipus tradition, that you know, Oracle of Delphi tradition. Mm -hmm. But they also have their roots in the Anglo-Saxon riddle. So I have set the ball on the tee. Take your driver, sir.
0: Well, so Anglo-Saxons, they had riddles, (laughs) y'all. Most of them are found in uh, what might otherwise be called the Big Rainy Day Book of all the Anglo-Saxon poetry. It's (laughs) called the Exeter Book. And it contains, like I said, it, it, it contains most of the different poems that survive from Anglo-Saxon England. Um, it's, it's a, it is a big, big book. But in this book, there are, there are a lot of riddles. Um, uh, over a hundred, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, almost a hundred, 95. um, Which means that whoever was writing out this book, you know, and, and the the riddles take up a considerable amount of, of page space, saw this as important as, um, fragments of homily or poems about Christ or fragments of heroic verse that -hmm. also show up in the same manuscript. So this is, this was considered a valuable cultural lore. And most of them are, uh, identification riddles. Uh, There will be a kind of figurative description of a thing, and you have to interpret the metaphors in order to get the the literal which is behind it. So one, I saw this creature of the weapon-equipped sort, greedy in the exuberance of his youth, as his due. His life guardian set running four springs, white fountains as his portion. A man spoke who said to me, this creature, if he thrives, will break up the downs. And if he goes to pieces, he will bind the living. So what is it?
2: Oh, I always have to look at these things even to think about them. I I know, I I know. It uh, it doesn't doesn't help when you only here. (laughs) Yeah, I, I would be close to useless in the uh, Middle Ages because it's such an oral culture.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. I, I certainly don't.
1: I'm bad at riddles.
0: Yeah. So, well, Hannah, David, what is it? It's a bull. Right? Ah. Right. So, he's a creature of the weapon equipped sort. Uh huh. He's got horns like, like weapons. Uh, he is greedy in the exuberance of his youth, right? While While still a calf, he's very hungry. And so, his life guardian, his mother, sets. As his portion, four springs of white fountains. So that is, oh, you know, okay. that's, that's the okay. mother cow suckling, uh, suckling the calf.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the man says, if this creature thrives, it will break up the downs. If the bull lives, I'm going to yoke it to a plow and I'm going to go plow the field. It will break up the mm-hmm. downland. But if he goes to pieces, he will bind the living. If if we die, if 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 we butcher this cow. Um, we will use its hide to make leather goods. Um, the most common of which was leather thongs to tie things with. Mm. So, um, the, the riddles are interesting, um, not just because of the, the puzzle, uh, itself, but also because of the window into the culture and the way people thought about the culture. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, you you have some kind of sense of when an uh, when Anglo-Saxon riddle man when he looks at when he looks at a bull, what does he see? He when he sees the horns, he sees spears, right? That kind of thing. So uh, some of them are uh, some of them are naughty, um, and those are often the ones that end up in literary anthologies <laughs> uh, because they are. Uh, uh, oh, well, there's one about, you know, oh gosh, I'm not even going to read the dirty Anglo-Saxon riddles on air. Um, but what they're attempting to do, <laughs> they, have they some always nice have... nice
1: Anglo-Saxon words in them, David?
0: Uh, no, they don't. They don't actually. Um, the funny thing is, is that their literal solution is it's an onion or it's a maid churning milk into oh, butter. It,
1: this is, this is like, uh... This is like what starts with f and ends with k and the answer is fire truck.
0: Right, yeah. right. Yes. Yes, it's exactly that kind of thing. It's 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 trick somebody into saying something naughty in public. And then you're like, "What? Gosh, how you dirty-minded person?" It's an onion, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, there so so yeah, the Anglo-Saxons knew that trick. Mhm. <laughs> Anglo-Saxons
1: and third graders.
0: Yes, Anglo-Saxon third graders. There's a lot of detente between those two demographics, apparently. (laughs) Um, Which even clergymen, um, Aldhelm, uh, one of the most famous uh, Anglo-Saxon writers from kind of early in the period of Anglo-Saxon Christendom, he wrote a uh, a hundred um, Latin, uh, a hundred riddles in Latin meter. Right. So it's, he's not writing a English verse, he's writing it in Latin called the Enigmata. Mm. The Enigmas. And and this is a guy who who is an abbot, a theologian, a scholar, and composing original riddles in Latin poetry is something that he feels like a good a good way to sink his time in.
1: He's not mm. doing like the dirty ones, right?
0: No, no. His his are not the naughty ones. Um in fact, I actually uh, I actually cited one of them in, uh, in 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 my dissertation because he was playing off of Greek mythology. You had to know something about the classics in order to answer this Anglo-Saxon clergyman's riddle. It was uh it was it was kind of interesting the way that he was playing off different kinds of cultural knowledge, which mm-hmm. also showed who's reading who who does he think is going to read these riddles right. Um, which maybe distances it a little bit more from our Anglo-Saxons or third graders comparison. <laughs> he was writing riddles for smart people. And, of course, Tolkien picks up on this stuff, um, especially, you know, we, we we know the riddles in The Hobbit and Bilbo Baggins and Gollum are competing. Um, Bilbo is riddling for his life, literally. Uh, but what's interesting there is the fact that both Gollum and Bilbo know the riddle game. It actually shows that they have a kind of kinship, that they have mm. a kind of similarity of background that makes the riddle um, uh, an inter- an interchange in which uh, that they both understand. You know right. that they can the fact that they can tell riddles that the other can guess means that they've got more in common than they might recognize. Right.
2: It's also significant that uh, Bilbo wins by going Samson on him. Yeah. what have i got in my pocket how am i supposed to know that (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
0: well what about our contemporary culture um are riddles still with us in any way um does riddling look different in the 21st century nathan
2: where i find riddles popping up in the 21st century more often not is actually in sales uh and i'm thinking of you know your just just imagine your favorite cheesy, uh, as seen on TV, 30-second television commercial. It's going to start off with, you know, oh, no, we've got this situation. Whatever are we going to do about it? And the answer is this product, right? Every
1: time, uh-huh. I, every time I open the cabinet, 45 cups fall in my head.
2: Yes, <laughs> yes. What shall I do about it? And again, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, the very sophisticated literary thing that we see in the Hobbit or in the Exeter book. Uh, but it does have that structure of the riddle, right? You know, it is this intractable problem and we're going to solve it by this lateral move to this product you didn't know existed, but wait, there's more. Um, (laughs) and so, you know, uh, in that way, uh, sales take on that. And then when you move from sales into something resembling religion, Uh, And I'm going to insult some of our listeners here, which, you know, we're almost at the end of the episode and I haven't yet. So I got to get this in. Um, If you think back to 2007, you know, this famous uh, presentation at the, you know, Apple convention or whatever it is that Steve Jobs spoke at, you know, he said, you know, we don't have one new product this year we're introducing, but we have three. It is a music player, you know, that you can select your music randomly And it's also a communication device that's going to connect people through cellular telephone networks. Uh, And it's also going to be the most sophisticated miniaturized computer that you've ever seen. And the answer to this riddle is iPhone. And, of course, he, he said it, you know, without the definite article, which is, you know, what Apple heads all over the world, you know, peed a little bit when they heard him say it. And probably still listen to the <laughs> YouTube clip so they can hear him say it again. But the structure of that, right, uh, in this grand moment of revelation is precisely one of those lateral moves, right? Uh, it is the riddling structure that makes that presentation one that is memorable, even if, like me, you find it, you know, vaguely silly. <laughs> Michael, what else? I mean, uh, where else do riddles pop up?
1: Well, I thought of something similarly annoying in Lowbrow. Um, and that that's clickbait. Oh, uh, that's good. That's good. You'll yeah. never you'll never guess what celebrity was caught peeing into a forest fire or <laughs> <laughs> the the one that the one that I love um shows up on the, I forget what website I go to where it shows up, but it's like why nobody will hire Sean William Scott anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, Stifler yeah. from uh, American Pie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the question you didn't even realize you were asking. Right, but, but right. yeah, clickbait works on that same principle it's going to give you enough information to make you interested and then you're going to click and they're going to make their five cents or whatever
0: yeah, mm. the one I the one I always see is celebrities that died in 2016 and then they'll show a picture of someone that you're pretty dang sure didn't die in 2016
1: yeah, I just, <laughs> like what must it be like to be Melissa McCarthy and, and see clickbait that says, Melissa McCarthy's fans remember her <laughs> like <laughs> How surreal.
0: Yeah. 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 I thought I thought about things like National Treasure or the the Grail Journal and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and and uh-huh. really any kind of movie that has treasure hunting as a theme. Right?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The Riddle as Clue and then um uh the serial killer plotline in a police procedural. Are there? It's it's almost always you've got you know the serial killer who thinks he's clever Dan, and he's constructing some kind of verbal or physical or uh, uh, he's a rebus, right? He's using some some form of riddling, um, in order to turn his crime into a kind of intellectual game against you know the 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 detective. Um, it's it's such a common trope that when I see it, you know, as soon as, as soon as a serial killer plot shows up on one of my wife's favorite detective shows, I'm like, wait for the riddle. Here it comes, Mm -hmm. you know, which, which to me seems like such a waste of time, right? You know, if you're going (laughs) to, if you're going to kill people serially, you know, but, but I guess after a while it just gets dull and you got to keep it fresh, you know? Mm. Well, dear listeners, we've said a lot of things about riddles, but almost certainly not all the things that could be said. Uh, If you'd like to comment on our episode, you can send us uh, comments uh, via email to thechristianhumanist at gmail.com. You can also post them on the show notes to this episode on christianhumanist.org when they go live. You can also send us comments through Facebook as well. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. We like it when people like us. Helps other people find us better. Also helps people find us better is good ratings on iTunes. So uh, if if you've not done that, please do so. We appreciate it. Well, in the meanwhile, the Christian Humanist Podcast needs to know what we're doing next week. <laughs>
2: I was wondering. I was wondering. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm about to pinch the final, the 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 the, the credits, but but we need to know. Riddle well, us talked, this.
2: Yes, I talked a little bit about apocalyptic uh, during today's episode, and we're going to stay apocalyptic for next week. Uh, we're going to talk about the mark of the beast. Going to go six 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 on you.
0: Nice. All right. Well, be tune in next time when things get beastly. Well. The Christian Humanist Podcast is a show on the Christian Humanist Radio Network. (laughs) Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Our editor, or our intern, is Amberly Copeland. And I'm David Grubbs on behalf of Michael Farmer and Nathan Gilmore, leaving you with great advice from Martin Luther. Let your sin be strong. Let your faith be stronger.